0: Welcome to the Adiona Podcast. On this show, we cover everything you need to know from early childhood development and education to parenting tips and much more. Now over to our hosts,
1: Tracy and Zoe. Hello and welcome back to our second Adiona Families podcast. We are very excited to be back today and as you know, we have started these podcasts so that you as our families have the opportunity to access information in your own time and in your own space. We were doing nights where you could come to, but we understand that everyone has absolutely busy lives and so we're hoping that you can enjoy this and gain some information once again, I'm joined by my professional associate, Tracy. Hello. And myself, Zoe. And we are going to be delving a little deeper into some of the information that we touched on last week. And so I'm just going to hand over to Tracy to do a little bit of a recap on what we discussed last time. Sure. Just before I start, just like to reiterate that Zoe and
0: I are early childhood professionals that have had the absolute privilege to be able to spend time exploring these topics. But we do not claim to be parenting experts or uh, doctors or anything of that calibre. This is more just information that we share with you. And it definitely comes through an educaring and addiona philosophy type of lens, but it is all based on the latest science and research that is out there.
1: Yeah. And we definitely have people that we refer to quite a bit and our educators also have that knowledge of who those people are so quite often we, re- we refer to Dan Siegel or Tina Payne Bryson and occasionally Bruce Perry as well but we will discuss that a little further as we go along when we're talking about specifics that they talk about. Absolutely
0: and all of their material is very easy to understand and to read if parents do want to delve into it further based on the information they learned today. So last time in our last podcast, we spoke about emotional health and I guess the what is it and why is it important aspects of it. Today, we are hoping to delve a little deeper into the mechanics of that. So, what's actually happening in the brain, how much the brain develops in the early years, what's important. We may touch a little bit on how we can support that, but don't worry, we will be doing a deep dive on that in our next podcast. It's such a big topic, and there's so much information that we really felt we sort of had to make it a three-parter. But so today's probably about the more of the physical and the biochemistry development that's happening, that supports, that's crucial for that emotional development.
1: Yeah. And just touching base on some of the stuff we discussed last time, I guess part of the reason why emotional regulation is so important is because it affects people for their entire life. It really speaks to their mental health and outcomes for their future. A lot of that brain development happens In those first three, four years, I think I was reading in Bruce Perry's, one of his papers this morning, that it's like 90, actually 90% of the brain is developed by the time children are four, which is very much in the pocket of the age group that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. I know at the moment there's a lot of research and i just you know, want to name drop
0: Nathan Wallace here. I know that he's a big proponent of it. He's a neuroscientist the, on the first thousand days. Yes, um, because that is such a crucial period for brain development and establishing these emotional bonds and emotional health. That there's a real focus at the moment on the first thousand days of a child's life.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: So, as I said, we're already so keen to get into it. We're already used <laughs> So, I guess probably where development starts is antenatal. So, maternal health obviously plays a part in this, and in, in terms of how the child is physically developing in in neutro, is that how you say it? Yeah. And so, you know, that's sort of, I guess, where the first thing comes. So, if there's risk factors there, that's just to be something to be aware of. But I think probably where The really important thing happens is that, and the bit that we can have the biggest impact over, is when the child is born and comes into this world. And for that child, it is such an influx of information. All the senses are engaged and it's just information overload sometimes (laughs) for them. And so from day one, children are developing in their brain synapses. So what synapses are, are... I like to visualize them as like little wires that join all the different parts of the brain together. We'll explain a little bit further why that's important, but they are being formed. And what is really interesting, and the people who have been along to one of the parent information nights, and I'll try and put this image up on the website, is that there's a picture of a typically developing three-year-old brain that has received love and care and attention. And then a child who, you know, I want to say that it's from a Budapest orphanage and, you know, in the 30s or something where the child's physical needs were met but their emotional needs were not. And the brain would honestly be about half the size of a typically developing three-year-old. So it physically impacts the size of the brain when we're forming these synapses. The other really interesting thing about synapses is – they get the little wires that join up get thicker with repetition. So, whether that is a positive connection or a negative connection, however that is formed, they get thicker and thicker and thicker in those first three to five years of life. And so then it becomes hardwired. Yeah. You know, and it helps with the integration with everything in their brain. So, I guess with that principle that things get thicker is that it becomes harder to break as you get older. So, if those wires have been wired for positive, resilience, emotional health, regulation, love, connection, then that's great. That child will have that for life, hopefully. Where it is tricky is that if there hasn't been that positive or things have negatively been wired, I guess, that it's certainly not impossible to break, but certainly harder Mm -hmm. because it's been Coated and coated and coated over and over.
1: Yeah. The brain in children is, well, actually in everyone, to be honest, but because it's so malleable in those younger years, it's use-dependent is the succinct way of saying, (laughs) explaining what Tracy's talking about there. So it's use-dependent. The brain organises in response to the environment that it's in. And genetics play a role in that, but genetics are influenced and shaped by the environment that the child is exposed to. Absolutely.
0: I guess a really great way that I like to think about how the brain forms and how these synapses sort of connect everything is looking at Dr. Dan Segal's. I'll say, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, hand model of the brain. If you have a moment, I'd really recommend just having just googling that hand model of the brain or Dr dance girl on YouTube because he explains it quite succinctly on there which is great which and is why he's a doctor which is, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> and it's actually a great thing to share with your children too I use it as a, a tool with my children to help them explain and talk about emotional regulation so I have a, a, a three and a six-year-old and it's perfectly understandable for them now and we have a bit of a short a short Cut now where
1: we just say, you know, flip your lid. We're flipping our lid,
0: okay? <laughs> we know what that means. Yeah. And so it's quite a useful tool.
1: And Tracy, I think that's a really important point. As much as we as adults, it's really important for us to understand what's going on in a child's brain, it's also important for them to understand to some extent what's happening as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The more you understand something, the more you have
0: control over yep, it, like the same with, or, or the less it's scary, yep. the less it feels overwhelming. Yep. And that's true in anything in life. Yeah. So I want you all, as you're sitting there listening to this <laughs> podcast to, you know, raise a hand and sort of make a fist with it. Cause it's going to help you visualize what I'm saying and I'm doing here as I'm talking to you now. So basically your wrist coming up into the palm of your hand is your is your brain stem or your spine. This is probably that little bit of the brain right down the bottom, so the bottom of your palm is our oldest part of the brain. Mm-hmm. It is called the limbic region and it is the oldest part. I think referred to as the reptilian part of the brain. And this is basically the part of the brain where it is our flight, fight, freeze response and it's the bit that we ha- where we do all of our subconscious things so it's breathing it's keeping our muscles moving it's making all of those functions happening and it is the bit of our brain that is constantly
1: on the lookout for danger and responding to that yeah it reacts if if someone throws a ball at you or (laughs) or something along those lines yeah Yeah. and you know from
0: pre-stroke is the bit that you know, was looking for the saber-toothed tiger that was going to chase us or, yeah. or whatever. And then would decide how we respond yep. to that. So it's the bit that keeps us alive, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, when we're born, that bit's there, it's functioning. It's keeping us going along. Then if you move up the hand, up into the top bit of our fingers is the cortex. So this is the bit... Oh, Sorry, can I just, jumping back to the limbic system, sorry, that's also the bit that, and we'll delve into this a little bit further, but that's also the bit that really, in children strives to make connection, because obviously when babies are born, they don't have the ability to survive on their own, so that part of the brain is really functioning to try and make a bond with another human being, because that's what they need to stay alive without... Making somebody look at them and love them and feed them and carry them, you know they're in real trouble. So that's also operating, and I think Dr. Dan, how I refer to him now, <laughs> and um, Dr. Tina, you know, sort of refer
1: to that as as the connection part of the brain because yeah. it's really seeking connection. Yeah, we're brain we're born as big brain mammals and part of that trade-off in evolution is that we are really highly dependent on our the people around us our family our primary carers and so we are quite as we are born we are quite dominant our brain is relationally based so we seek those connections at very very early age yeah absolutely because it was a matter of survival that's right
0: (laughs) so then as we move up we move into the cortex area of the brain so that's the that's sort of where your knuckles and fingers sort of fold over the top of your palm and that's sort of how if you imagine it sitting in your head it's always laughing at me because I'm mowing it as I'm doing this it sort of is in there and that's the bit that allows higher thinking essentially it's the bit of our brain that is uses reason and logic and can think things through it can be when uh you know a fight flight freeze response is issued, the top of our brain can go, oh, actually, no, that's not something chasing me. It's just a tree. It's that bit to be able to reason out of things.
1: Just a ball, I'll catch it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right. Or I can duck or, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. And it's also the bit of our brain that we use to do things like academic learning
1: or or to develop skills and interests as we grow older. Yeah. And that develops all the way into the 20s. So that mm. part of the brain takes a considerable amount of time and probably more time than people realise. Mid-20s is normally when it's fully developed. Yep, And I will just say the bit that sort of your knuckle to
0: your nail, your, your first knuckle to your nail on your hand, that's the prefrontal cortex. And that's not, as you said, yeah. developed until 25-ish. Yep. Yeah. And, some people, be <laughs> never. Um, and that's the bit that makes us be able to make really sound decisions. Yeah.
1: And control our emotions and develop that empathy and morality and all those kind of higher order thinking things as well. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I guess why that's important is
0: because Dr. Dan and Dr. T- Tina referred to that as the upstairs downstairs brain. And in order to become a functioning human being with healthy emotional regulation, the upstairs and the downstairs brain need to be have connections yeah. through them and that's where the synapsis is because otherwise if there's n- those connections aren't formed or they're not formed in a positive way, a person is always going to be operating from a flight, fight or freeze response which is an exhausting and traumatic way to yeah. go through life. And so – we really want to be able to put inside this connection and that higher order thinking to be able to support people yeah. through their lives.
1: Yeah. They refer to it as integration quite often and it's mm-hmm. top and bottom, left and right. And to have really good integration means that you are an extremely functional adult, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. And yeah. all of that,
0: as I said, not impossible to change, but it's a lot easier if we can start getting that
1: integration happening in the first thousand days. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah once again that 90% of the brain is developed in that time so yeah fairly significant absolutely yeah and of course all of this is all associated to with the central nervous system which plays a really big role in child development do you like to touch base a little bit more on how that works tracy
0: Sure. It's a really, really important part of child development is that fr- that notion of freedom of movement. There's actually been a lot of research done and if anybody wants to look at it further, I'd recommend having a look at the Pickler Institute research about how if we allow children as much freedom of movement as possible, how even just as simple things like the, the sensory input they get from the floor gives them information, which then informs their body how to move. I and mean, it helps with the brain integration, especially with the left-right connections, you know, things like coordination, all of that sort of thing, but actually needs to happen for connections to be made. I mean, it helps with balance. There's actually research out there that shows that children – up until the age of nine and and older, you know, who doing physical activity before doing something like studying or having to sit down in a learning environment by spinning for thirty seconds mm-hmm. before joining the group can actually help their increase their attention span and their ability to engage with the group, um, and because it's activating certain things within the brain, so movement um, within the body is really really important and. Even with the movement, sorry, it releases certain hormones and chemicals within the body that helps us focus and pay attention and opens up the muscles in the ears and all of this sort of thing, which is really, really important.
1: Yeah. I think sometimes we get into the habit of almost thinking like the brain is something separate to our body, but it's all integrated everything impacts yeah. on everything. Yeah. 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 And like you said earlier, I think, you know, children come out ready to learn through their senses mm-hmm. and the central nervous system plays a key role in communicating that through the whole body. So yeah.
0: And w- once again, we'll touch on this in our next podcast, but that's where touch is really important. Yeah. So what we allow children to touch, but also how we touch children. You know, how our, our – physical cuddles and helping them with our hands really has an impact on how they perceive themselves
1: yeah and they're reading all of it all at once so you know they don't read little bits in isolation they're taking in all that information and then trying to make sense of it within themselves so yeah absolutely yeah
0: Yeah. So I guess at this point, I'd like to say that, you know, all of this information that we've been talking about, you know, it is fairly recent because of the technology that we have available to us now with, you know, brain scans and all these things that they can do. But it has always been known within the, I guess, psychology sort of side of things in the social sciences (laughs) that, you know, the need for connection and belonging is really important. So as far back as 1943, Maslow came up with a model called the hierarchy of needs, which has largely been accepted and is still used and taught today. And so basically... His model sort of indicates sort of three main areas of needs. So the first one being the basic needs. And so that's our need for food, water, warmth and shelter and rest. And then the next level up, if you imagine a pyramid, is our safety needs. So our need to be safe and secure and then after that becomes our psychological needs and so the first step of that is our belonging and love needs and so that is you know having intimate relationships having friends belonging in a family belonging in a group having a community and the thing is you can't progress to the next level up on the pyramid if you haven't had if one of those needs isn't being met so that's really, really important and that was a, a set established way back when. And the next level up is esteem needs. So that's feeling of accomplishment, feeling like that you can do something, that you matter, that your work matters, that you matter. The next sort of set of needs and then the top of the pyramid is your self-fulfillment needs. So that's self actualization, and that's achieving one's full potential including, you know, creative and professional activities and I think that's where we'd all like our children to get to absolutely and that's that's the goal yeah (laughs) you know so it's really important that we can set the best foundation possible for those psychological needs to help them get to that self-actualization
1: yeah and to do that it's through relationships Absolutely. So that's
0: definitely what we're going to be talking about in our next podcast. So it's still going to be about emotional health, but it's going to be now that we've covered the the what, why, you <laughs> know, where sort of situation, we're going to talk about the how. So how can we as parents and caregivers support children in developing a healthy emotional regulation to become lifelong successful resilient achievers
1: yeah yeah and be really good that self-talk which we touched base on in the previous podcast as well so I think before we end today we just want to give a shout out to some of the superstars that we've discussed today (laughs) sure absolutely so a lot of our material because we are fangirling
0: quite heavily on them at the moment is Dr Dan Segal and Dr Tina Payne Bryson they have three books that are current release called No Drama Discipline The Yes Brain and The Whole Brain Child, I would recommend any of those books. It's quite easy reading. And I do know they're releasing a new one in January. There's even cartoons in there. It's fantastic. Yeah. For the No Drama Discipline, there's a workbook that you can purchase if you're interested in working through that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, really, really great resource. And already up on the Facebook page, but I'll try and link it here. There's a podcast with Dr. Tina talking about some of this information. I'll also put up the clip the link, sorry, to the YouTube clip of Dr. Dan talking about the hand model because, as I said, he goes into a lot more detail than what I did here. I know also that, Zoe, you
1: really looked into Dr. Bruce Perry. Yeah. uh, He wrote the book, The Boy Raised by dogs. So his take on a lot of this is looks a little bit more at traumatic um, instances in childhood. But by looking at that, then you can understand what needs to occur for normal brain function to happen in children. So it's probably a little darker, his readings, and not quite as easy to read, but uh, he is a world of knowledge as well.
0: Yeah. And we did also mention Nathan Wallace earlier in the podcast too. Once again, put him into Google or YouTube and there'll be plenty of clips coming up. And he talks about brain development all the way from infancy through to teenagers. So whatever stage you're at, he'll have something for you. Um, I think that's all for today. So once again, thank you for listening. If you do have any feedback or anything about these podcasts or information you'd like to hear, you know, please, if you see Zoe in the hallway, let her know. If not, you can email me at Tracy, which is T-R-A-C-Y at adiona.com.au. And as I said, we'll be back next time talking about what we can do to help our children. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Adiona Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more fascinating insights into the early childhood development process. And don't forget to rate and review the show so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode of the Adiona Podcast.